Hi, welcome to Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. Well, I'm joined today by uh, one of Christ's covenant, a great friend of Christ's covenant, one of my favorite guys to talk to, uh, and especially, um, you know, I felt like I feel like Colin. If we were actually in uh, a Babylonian exile, um, it'd be it'd be fun to, you know, meet up at night and say, okay, how are we going to get these people through this thing? And so, um, Colin Hansen of the Gospel Coalition <laughs> is uh, is with us. We were just talking about our both our boys are playing football and. Um, I guess the uh, the heat of Birmingham, Alabama, and Atlanta, Georgia doesn't compare to that Babylonian heat. So, uh, <laughs> oh, the fire yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of felt like the, You'll think today. about it. You'll think about it. Well, we we've been in this series, Colin. <laughs> um, we're we. I would just say, in in particular, in general, rather, we've been talking about this idea of exile, um, which I grew up in, kind of the Christian South. I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama. That wasn't like a big theme that we talked about when I was a child because we, we kind of felt like we were living in this, it felt more like we were living in Jerusalem than it did like we were living in Babylon. Um, but I think that has been a transition that has certainly happened in my life. I mean, I can personally identify with with that as a guy that grew up in suburban Huntsville. And um, it was a very kind of, not that everybody was a Christian, but the way I've been saying it in the series is that we were all kind of Christianized. Um, and so, uh, but now, of course, we we live in an age that, you know, I don't know how many more or less Christians there are, but the culture is more secularized. And so um, that theme of exile, I know it's something that you've thought a great deal about. Um, maybe just some reflections that you've had as, as you think about that. You know, how have you encouraged the church? How have you enc- encouraged, you know, brothers and sisters um, in this age that we find ourselves in now? I suppose, Jason, that we often did think that there was a Babylon. It was just out there. It was in that neighboring nation. So we were in what would people now describe as sort of like red America, though in our, that terminology was not used when we were growing up, but there was red America and then there was, which was sort of like real America. And then there was Babylon and that was blue America or secular America. And we kind of thought, well, at some point, Maybe people just realize that Jerusalem is really in charge and we'll be able to be able to control things again. It's, it's almost like we'll, we will conquer Babylon. But yeah, there's definitely something that's shifted <laughs> in the last 20 years. And I should say, to be clear, this is something that people, I've lived in New Jersey, I've lived in Illinois, I've lived in South Dakota, I've lived in Alabama. This is a much more pronounced feeling in Alabama and in South Dakota than it ever yeah, was, there was in New Jersey. More of an awareness that Illinois. we're in Babylon already. Yeah. Already. Yeah. And so and same thing. I spent my summer in in Cambridge and some other parts of Europe 
And same thing. There's simply none of that mentality. So there's not that sense of of loss. Um, they've adapted to that. And I think what's interesting, Jason, is that what you find in those environments is, yes, sometimes, so especially in the United States because of our national media, but less so in England. You don't find as much of a lament over what was lost. You have more of a kind of an embrace of the opportunity and a, a hopefulness that comes with the very close-knit Christian community and their eagerness to evangelize. Well, and I've de- I definitely— um, right, but you don't hear a lot I, well, of fear. I, mean, I was uh, actually in England over the winter, in in the winter, and and all the conversations I had were exactly what you're talking about. Um, and they even, you know, the, to be fair to our kind of our current context, I mean, they were even saying 20 years ago, it was a little bit more of a lament. Um, you know, so what is happening maybe here right now was more of a reality 20, 25 years ago in the United Kingdom, um, and there was more of a Christendom that they had to kind of deprogram the way that pe- the world thought of Christianity was a certain way that may or may not be very Christian. Um, but now when they share the gospel, um, it's like people are interested. I've never heard of these things. W- what are you talking about? And so I, I do think that this, um, that th- they are definitely in the post, uh, Jerusalem reality, um, you know, and and maybe one of the the reasons that I think in a in a context like yours in Birmingham and mine, even in Atlanta, um, you know, I do think that there is still this. Well, you know, if Ron DeSantis would just win the election, or if you know, if 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 we get the right laws about transgender, or if you know, there's still this kind of feeling of maybe this exile. Which it's interesting if you think about the Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 passage. You know, a lot of the prophets, I think when Jeremiah says, that, or when God says through Jeremiah, these are not my prophets, I did not send them. They were all saying, the exile's not really real. It's not going to last 70 years. You're going to come back sooner. And that's really part of Jeremiah's correction is saying, no, 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 you're going to be there for seven years. It's it's go, it's real. And you you need to to sink into it and you need to set into it. Um, and, and again, I think to reframe that, it's not that, um, I, I actually would frame that as not that like necessarily we've lost something, even though we, we 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 maybe have to some degree, and that's a bigger conversation. But I think in another way, we we misunderstood the exile that we were already in. Um, and I think that missing that actually is missing a great deal for how we're to understand ourselves as Christians in the first place. Yeah, and, and we have to understand that the exilic theme develops over the course of Scripture. So the first exile is, of course, in in Eden, the east of Eden. And so from the beginning, the theme of exile is connected to our sin. I was just reading through Isaiah today and part of the judgments against Babylon, and the theme that you see consistently there is that the foreign powers have no ultimate power except which God grants them. And it's in response to the in response to the sin of his people. Now, that's where the analogy breaks down. We're not a covenant people in that same way as a nation today. So exile, as N.T. Wright and others have argued, is more of that period in which we live in the already, not yet. Uh, already the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ, but not yet has it been fully consummated until Jesus returns. So exile, yes, is a part of our sin, but more broadly, sin in general. 
that original sin that continues to be passed down again over generation, generation, generation. And then ultimately, we're looking forward to a kingdom, but a kingdom that no matter what we do on earth will never be fully consummated. And it's and and we might think of it almost like uh, there may be some degrees of, of, of that kingdom representing the kingdom that will be to come, but it's really more of a discontinuity right. than a continuity. I, I'm, I don't think we're post-millennialists on this call in the sense that we are progressing ever closer to the kingdom through the laws and the practices that we enact here on earth. And so in some sense, this, this exile is something that is, is new and part of the feeling, but is a biblical theme and an expectation that has always been there. And insofar as we may have confused the city of God with the city of man could be a major reason why we feel so disaffected or a little bit distraught now. And at the same time to say, yes, some things really have changed and there are common graces that you would rather enjoy than not. And some of those common graces and just basic truth are part of what we feel. And that's why I think why it's, it's, it's kind of a nuanced conversation. I think that, The big frame, and we've actually been using the category of city of God and city of man in this this series, the big frame of city of God and city of man, I think because things in the city of man, we had a Judeo-Christian value system. I mean, even if you go back to the first great awakening, some of this post-millennialism, to your point, it's kind of baked into the American psyche. Uh, And I think in the same way that it was baked into kind of the um, you know, post-Constantinian Roman psyche of like, okay, the city of man is the city of God. And that's where Augustine is so clarifying. And I think that this is a good moment for us to say, okay, actually we, we kind of got off track there where we missed the big, we, we kind of let the distinctives between the city of God and the city of man fall a little bit in our minds at the same time. And I think you make a great point. We've got to recognize the, there, there were some common graces. I mean, there is good to Western civilization um, and I think it's 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 irresponsible. You, you can go too far one way or too far uh, the other. And I, I think, you know, neither are wise or, or very Christian. Um, I, I want to get to some practical questions because I, I do think our folks, um, you know, they, they want to get to the nitty gritty. And we, we've only got Colin Hansen for a few more minutes. So let's let's kind of get to. <laughs> um, what what are some of the things that are at stake here, and, and how do we live this out? How, how do we be faithful in an exilic age? Um, and, and I do think that, that that can be hard. Like when when do we say I'm not going to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue, or when do we say, well, rather than go to Ahasuerus with all these demands, I'm going to make him a feast and try to warm him up a little bit? Uh, you know, how do we balance faithfulness and righteousness and shrewdness and and living in this age? So. You know, the, the issue of pronouns, I mean, we, we can start there. Um, you know, that's a that's an issue that, that real people are really facing in their office. You know, do I have to put pro, my pronouns in my signature? Am I just reaffirming a secular worldview that is ultimately godless? Um, how do I refer to, uh, you know, someone who has gone through some sort of gender transition? Um, do I say that it's a her or do I just use their first name? I mean, how, how do I engage with that. Where is the line of faithfulness on that? Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I think we can talk about some of the specific applications here, but I do want to give an overall, maybe perspective shift for the folks who are listening to this. 
And I think a lot of us approach these issues with the mentality of, okay, Christians are really prude. And, um, you know, we need to really kind of get with the program. And, you know, if we need to compromise here or there, maybe that'll help people to see that we're not nearly as prudish as they think that we are. And they'll be able to listen to us and we'll be able to maintain a relationship. I think that's how a lot of us often think about these issues. But I'm wondering if that's not really the accurate way to be thinking about these questions anymore. I wonder if we need to flip this thing around and say, have you noticed that the more we quote unquote progress in this world, the more things that we begin to throw into this new cultural revolution, the pronouns, um, same-sex marriage, uh, transgender, uh, gender reassignment surgeries, and on and on and on, that the result is always worse. Like culturally speaking, it means that we're, we're more disconnected from one another. There's more mental unhealth. There's more suffering. There's more loneliness. There's more despair. And do you wonder, maybe the thing that Christians should be doing now is not figuring out how to fit in so that people don't think that we're holier than thou or prudes, but that maybe just being present and truthful and loving and kind, but also firm in our commitments and telling the truth is actually the best way to be loving right now when everyone else seems to be Right. Losing their minds to a certain extent. Maybe the thing to do is not to see if we can't try to catch up with them staying two steps behind, but instead being that, to borrow a phrase, that non-anxious presence that says, I'm just not going to go along with this. Um, you know, the more of us who use the, who put the pronouns or who, I mean, look, the thing is the benefit of being older is, well, I mean, everybody knows the problem with being older is that you're out of touch. The benefit of being older (laughs) is that you have seen so many fads come and go. I was just reading about another fad today, which was about announcing the land on which you are standing has been stolen. Okay. If you're really reading the people who are most up to date on these things, what you find is a disconnect between the benefit of the actual thing which is being protested and the, the i mean there there's no there's no connection between that thing being protested and any change in any measurable way being done about that problem so what you see is that the i mean i'm going to borrow some real sort of like you know some real deep analysis on this but like a lot of these things are being introduced simply as ways right, of right. the new shibboleths. They're the new things that we have to do to show that we are in on things, that we're truly a part of the right group of people, that we're in the class. So when you think about the pronouns, it's like, well, you could go along with that if you want, but you need to understand. Yeah, there, there's that's another not the last thing, thing that's coming that's going to be down asked the pipe for you. There will always be another thing. And the more all of us choose to give in to unreality, the more unreality gets shoved in our face and we get forced to to reckon with. And so that's just I just wanted to say that as an overarching thing to say, 
I don't know. I'm not going to say that you should be brought up under church discipline if you list your pronouns or something like that. I think it's unwise to use it for other people. I think if possible, just use their name and sound, you know, kind of foolish just repeating it over and over again. But at least that's sort of acknowledging reality. Um, but the more you more you give into this, the more you have to keep giving into well, it. Well, and, over and, and over you know, we've already given in a lot. Um to where these things have been, you know, very, very normalized. And 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 I think I, I mean, I think that the step back that that all Christians need to take is, you know, I think where we have failed is what is a biblical view of gender? What is a biblical view of marriage? What is a biblical view of all of these things? And I think where there's the most confusion uh, is not when people don't have a negative, a right negative view of these things. It's when they don't have a right positive view of these things. Um, they're not able to put forward a, a better worldview. Um, you know, a, another one that I think is interesting that, that you and I mentioned is, is this idea of money. Um, you know, I think it's easy to say, well, maybe we don't need to go along with the whole like transgender revolution, but we can go along with materialism. We can go along with the exploitation of people. We can go along, uh, with greed, uh, with the best of them. Um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts just on, on that as a, a, as a cultural and secular kind of moment. You know, I've learned from a lot of people on this point, so I'm not saying anything that's terribly original compared to what Carl Truman has talked about, of what Robert George talks about, any number of different people. But it's interesting to me that if you were to drop into our Western culture, especially in the United States, the thing that would stand out to you is the right. conspicuous consumption by far. Like that's what would stand out to you. And then you'd look at the scriptures and you'd say, well, goodness, that, 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 that is what absolutely stands out in Jesus's teaching. It's not the only thing he talks about, but it's something that he talks about very clearly and very repeatedly in there. And then you look back and say, is it possible? I was actually talking with a, a non-Christian family member about this. And I said, have you ever considered that so many of these culture war issues are a way of the ruling elite classes to be able to kind of maintain their control without having to give up any meaningful change? Their ways of being able to eliminate certain people to show that they're, quote unquote, on the side of social justice, but never have to actually care about the issues that afflict people, especially people who are who are different from them and disadvantaged. And I think that's one of the things you you have to notice is that we don't really talk much in our culture more about pushing back against materialism or pushing back against debt or or maintaining your obligations. It's just more of everybody agrees, no, I just want what's mine, and by which I mean a lot more than what's mine, and somebody else will pay the price for that. Or somehow magically nobody will pay the price for that ever and we're just going to live this kind of fairy tale and and then you all of a sudden you start to notice that a lot of the things that are supposed to be broken down as the thing to care about red versus blue or this state versus that state or rural versus urban or whatever are kind of ways of distracting you from some of the more yeah. obvious injustices and, and persistent uh, problems that we see in our culture so um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very happy capitalist. I, I don't think uh, socialism does us any good. I'm just trying to point out that trying to be an obedient disciple, um, it just doesn't mean you're going to be able to go along with whatever 
ideas people tell you to care about, you have to care about what Jesus cares about. And he sure would care a lot about the conspicuous I mean, I think that you're bringing up a point that is a real reality, and it is, um, I mean, even to your point about, like, the standing on land that was stolen, it's what what are you actually doing to take responsibility for anything, or are you actually, yeah, or are you actually just wanting something to be righteous over or complain about. Um, and again, I think so much of the culture wars these days is just, again, it's, it's, it's this reaffirmation of tribalism, man. There's so much more I want to talk about. I know, I know you've got to go uh, last one real quick. And this is a hard one real quick, but it was one that was sent in. Yep. Yeah. Just one, yeah, you know, somebody says, you know, basically I have a, a child that, that's, you know, in my sphere of influence, it's a friend of mine's child that is transitioning um, and now like the, the child started transitioning eight years ago. I didn't say anything. Now the child's 15. I'm seeing all the problems. Like, was that wrong of me? <laughs> Should I have said something? Um, and of course, you know, the parents are confused. I, I offered support and, um, and I, you know, sh- was I wrong? One thing I'll say to this real quick, I, I want to speak to it just for a second. Then I know I want to let you go, but I think one of the great like lies of Satan um, are the great confusions that we have over what Christianity is, is that somehow we have been tricked to believe that Christianity is just an affirmation of everything. Like the, mo- the, the most Christian thing is just to <laughs> affirm people. Um, and I think, and that is, a that is, I mean, especially in a context like Atlanta, uh, a lot of the people that profess Christ, they think that, well, if you were really Christian, you would just love them and affirm them. It, it's just this Christianity is affirmation. And of course, that's not Christianity. I don't know what that is. Uh, that's um, impossible is what it is um, because you can't affirm everything. And, and ultimately, that the way I've been able to call people out on it is like, well, shouldn't you be more affirming of Trump supporters? Like, you know, the, the way I have been able to reverse that is usually people that, you know, they're that kind of mentality is oftentimes on the left. And it's like, well, why don't you just affirm, you know, the, the, the January 6th rioters like more than you are and and people kind of are able to see their own hypocrisy. But I, I do think that this just a firm thing uh, is where that we feel like we're following Jesus when, when we're really following a, a different God of our age. So yeah, thoughts on the, the question. Did, um did I understand the, the question correctly that the child would have been transitioning yes. at age seven? Okay. So yeah, that's pretty, unfortunately happens um, more often than it used to so now now we can we can see here that transitioning can look a lot of different ways especially at age seven it can be looking at dress it can be looking at um well yeah um, and the way the, names, the, the, star, the be, child started you know, acting things, like all a, sorts of things like that. a boy when he was seven okay. or she was seven I'm not really sure of the gender but now yeah. they're 15 and they're actually in real transition so okay yeah, so what if and I don't want to go back and relitigate the past and say what you should have done or this person um with their conscience should have done back then because I don't know exactly what opportunities they had or invitation. Um it's certainly easier to talk to somebody who asks you or just opens up your life as opposed to saying Hey, I noticed over there that your boy is acting like a girl and I just knocked on your door to say, I don't think you should be letting your boy dress like that. I mean, that's a bit of right, a different right. 
different situation right there. So I don't want to speak into that so much. I just want to offer this perspective. And this is what I'm getting at with truth and reality. What if you knew that there is no evidence that these full gender reassignment surgeries and that they produce positive outcomes in people? What if you saw all of the testimonies of people who were detransitioning, but in many ways their bodies had already been mutilated and it was too late? What if you were aware of all of the different things that the UK and elsewhere in Europe, what they were doing to roll back these experimental treatments on minors and actually making them illegal? I think, Jason, a lot of people just don't know right, I agree. what's actually happening. And so they're they're looking at this very narrow frame to say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I don't know what's my place. And, you know, who am I to be able to speak into this? Well, it's almost like saying, I mean, imagine this, Jason. Imagine that you saw your neighbor and their five-year-old was smoking a cigarette. Okay. Like, you wouldn't really feel bad by saying, hey, what's going on here? Especially when they invite your five-year-old to come smoke with them. Or if you saw a six-year-old who had a smartphone and it was completely unfiltered access. And then they were inviting your child to come hang out. And they were like, oh, yeah, our six-year-old has a smartphone and and we don't bother with anything because we don't want to be those kinds of parents. Would you think any of that was okay? Do you think that would be positive? Wouldn't you not just say something in relation to your child, but wouldn't you might even suggest something like, are you sure that's a good idea? Have you thought about the implications? I've been reading X, Y, Z. What I'm saying is that it seems pretty obvious in some cases that the loving thing to do would actually Mm -hmm. be to raise some questions there. I'm wondering why these radical experimentations that we're talking about here with transgender and transitioning identity, like why, why is that not something that requires more questioning there? Now, I think the reason we know why we're not questioning it more is because it plays to an underlying cultural reality that we've all just sort of assumed, which is that we're individuals, that even our children should be able to do whatever they want. Authorities yeah. are the real problem. You make it up as you go. Your psychology triumphs over your Yeah, biology. it's expressive individualism. That, we've made a lot of yeah. those expressive individualism. So we've already assumed that, Christians and non-Christians. That's why we don't talk about that kind of thing. But if you knew the the truth about what's actually happening, would it be right. the loving thing to not say anything? It's just similar, as I conclude here, Jason, it's just similar to saying, if you know your neighbor is going to hell, is it a, a, a what's the loving thing to do? Is it to tell your neighbor about Jesus or is it to not tell them anything? Well, I, I don't care how tolerant you are, but it's not really loving to be able to not tell your neighbor about about Jesus. So without getting into all the details of what we are invited to or not invited to do with our neighbors, but at the very least, we should be in a position to love our neighbors in their suffering, in their despair, in their the pressure that they feel to deny truth and to bolster them with what we know to be true, not only as Christians, but also simply as human beings who are paying attention 
to reality and what's happening and staying rooted yeah. in that reality. So yeah, I, I think there's, there's an opportunity. I think there's like common grace, general good neighboring, right? If if you if 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 somebody came over and said, "Hey, this tree is dead and it's going to fall on your house." Um, you don't have to be a Christian or a non-Christian for that to be a kind and good thing to do. And so I do think there's a level of that. Obviously, the level gets ratcheted up when we're talking about the lordship of Jesus. So if this neighbor who's allowing their kid to right. transition is claiming the lordship of Jesus, then you're then you have a different kind of right. stewardship that says, sure, yeah. Then you have a different level of stewardship that says, what does the lordship of Jesus really mean? Colin and listeners, it's my fault for not scheduling more time. I know you got to go, but love you, brother. (laughs) Grateful for you. And for all of you listening, thanks so much for joining us on the Sermon Talkback. We'll see you soon. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talkback podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text pastor line at 404-465-1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.